This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. When we're starting a new business, primarily like the most important thing is um, creating a profitable business model, right? If, if you don't have a profitable business model and you don't know how you're going to make money, you're not going to succeed because you're mm. not going to make money and you're going to crash and burn. Um, so that's always step one, um, knowing your numbers and then executing based off that. I mean, all the brand stuff and all that stuff is super fun, but you need to know your numbers. Ramsey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Been really excited about this one. Um, I was thinking about this all throughout the week, but um, I, I remember, so I used to work in Port Melbourne maybe about five or six years ago, and, and I would come from out of town. So every day I'd I'd drive past Port Melbourne F45, and it was it'd just be absolutely pumping. Um, yeah. And I just remember obviously following you from back in the day, and and almost watching from afar, kind of that that evolution. Um, I think I come right around, you know, right in the middle, but and then obviously following you, and and I've always been a big lover of business. You know, um, the nuances of it, the 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 journey you go on but also how you can you can the competitive side of it right where you can be so different to other people and and obviously build winning products so really excited about it but um i think what we'll start with man is is obviously getting a bit of insight into yourself i'll let you give yourself a bit of an intro and and then we can dive into you know the journey that you went on with f45 and and obviously a lot of the other businesses that you've then gone on to to create and 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 innovate with sure well i think um Probably for relevance, um, my my sort of my career as such started with the F forty five days. Um, I had been a PT when I was younger. Um, probably didn't like it as much as I thought I would. Um, I, I got qualified very young, like eighteen. Started taking group classes, started taking one on ones, and I just felt like a psychologist. So mm. I ended up exiting the fitness industry really early. Went to uni, did a bachelor of marketing, masters of commerce. Um, Started working in a nightclub on the weekends and met my business partner, Mark. Um, and he actually approached me with this um, this concept called F45. At the time, um, there was probably three or four studios open in Australia. You look at it now, there's a lot, two and a half thousand, three thousand, something like that. Um, and so having like the marketing background and being a PT, he said to me, I think you're the perfect you know, business partner. I think, I think this is going to do really well. Um, so we jumped on a plane to Bondi, checked out the studio. I walked in. It was the most amazing experience, like DJ going off, um, class full of 27 people. There was another 27 people lined up, ready to go in. I just remember the vibe and um, having been in that stale kind of fitness industry environment when I was younger and I came in to Bondi, I saw that. I was like, wow, this is this has to be the next progression of how things mm. are going, right? Um, so... We secured two uh, two licenses, as you said, Port Melbourne before. That was that was a beast. Um, that actually won best year in the world, three years running. Um, we used to take classes of 72 people with five trainers. Everyone had their assigned roles. Um, it was just a madhouse. Our Christmas parties, we'd have like a 1,000 people there, just everyone just having a good time. Um, that community was amazing. But, yeah, we launched that. We launched South Yarra and... What we just did was kept reinvesting in, in more studios. So then we got Ascot Vale, we got Geelong, um, 
we found we got we got two studios in Darwin, and and that was a bit of a marketing decision as well. Um, what we'd seen was the territory in Darwin. We literally had probably one hundred and twenty thousand people there within our sort of catchment, mm. whereas the other sort of F forty five licenses, you'd get like twenty thousand, thirty thousand. I mean, there's one on every fucking corner at the moment. Um, but yeah, so we um, we just kept reinvesting. Got to six studios. Um, at the same time, I started a retreats company called Journey Retreats, just purely to sort of leverage the, the, the database that we already had and the members we already had and give them something a little bit different. Um, and then we sold everything to start strong um, and to sort of transition from that franchisee phase to a franchisor, which was, I think, always the end goal. Um, yeah. Bit of shock. I think there was a bit of shock value when we when we left the, the network, the F45 network. Um you know, we'd won Best Studio, we'd been up there, you know, at the Ivy, accepting the awards, teaching everyone how we'd done it, how we'd, how we, you know, this was all based off revenue. Um, but then when we left, it was a- equally as sort of, yeah, shocking. Um, but I'm so glad that we did that. Um, now we're here today with, with Strong and we have 11 studios open. We have, I think, 74 now sold. Mm. Um, and we're just rolling out. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, is there any kind of, I guess, you know, key differences that you see or that, you know, obviously going from the, the franchisee to the franchisor, you know, initially that you kind of go, you know, obviously it's at a larger scale and, and I'm, I'm guessing that um, there's a lot more, you know, you would have to start with, to started, at, you know, during your 45 days, you would have been obviously started as a, as a technician and, and then obviously, you know, uh, brought your belief system into that and, and obviously, you know, scaled it up to, you know, locations and, and now you're obviously having to kind of go on the other side and and then um, do the same thing but then obviously, you know, try to manage that belief system across, you know, what's going to be, you know, 70 locations now. So it, what are the key differences that you've, you've seen from taking that leap? It's like, um, I mean, it's a huge difference. You're, uh, you're effectively um, now providing the the workouts the everything there's so many business units within a franchise as you know you're selling merch you're selling education mm. um you're providing workouts you provide like everything um where i think the the cohesion is um and this is where i think we have an advantage over a lot of other franchisors is we've been through the process as a franchisee so we know the pain points mm. we know the the headaches that come with having a head office that have compliance and, and have um, um, even like the guidance, you know, with the, with the franchise onboarding. Um, we didn't get a really great onboarding experience. We mm-hmm. kind of, we were kind of left to our own devices with F45. We we're, were number 10 in the world and that's fine. That was, that was still growing and, and whatever else. But um, we've, we've ensured that the onboarding process is huge. So everything they learn from operations to sales to marketing to um yeah, to employment, to finding the right instructors, to how to even deal with customers and everything is just so in-depth um, and it's such a large process, but that's like, we're just giving them the tools to be successful, right? Um, so I guess like, yeah, I mean, there's a huge difference, but the fran- c- coming from being a franchisee has just helped so much. Um, yeah, it, it's, been, it's been brilliant. Just with knowing what to provide and, and obviously going through the process and knowing what you know, what actually makes a successful franchise as well. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, 
One of the, like, I guess one of the questions that I would have for you, if I was to sit, and I'm going to treat it like this, I'm going to treat it like I'm sitting, you know, in, a, in like a mentoring session with you, right, or, or mm. sitting across the table and I just want to pick your brain. But what, back in those days, you know, what made F40, your F45 so successful? What was the differentiating factor? Um, so I, I think that the probably the number one success factor for any gym is community, so building community. Um, instead of heroing your your influencers and your whatever else it's more about your local area marketing so your you know your baristas your hairdressers your local business owners they're the people who are going to bring people to your studio most people train within an 11 minute drive of their their gym um yeah you look at referral processes if it, let's say you've got a gym with 150 members in the boutique space we try and work on about 300 members mm. If every single, if 150 members bring one one person each, you're full. You're literally full. So mm. the referral process for us was super important. We really leveraged our own existing community and built through that. Um, and then just yeah, uh, I guess we did really leverage early days. We had um, we had a couple of footballers come on. Um, we had to build brand equity, which never existed in Melbourne. So we had to really push the PR side of things. Um, it's not an area that I really enjoy that much, but it's something that was, it's almost like a necessary evil that you kind of have to do. Um, it, it's kind of like, you know, it allows you to go a little bit quicker, right? Yeah. And it's, it, yeah, it, it's so interesting. Like it does, it does work to some extent. And like a good example of that is um, we, this, massive article came out in Brisbane about strong and, and the growth of strong and the growth of strong in Queensland. And um, we got it. We, we converted like five or six franchises off the back of this one article that was in mainstream media, like, you know, sort of their equivalent of Herald Sun, mm. um, which I hadn't really rated for, I, I know PR has its place and everything like that, but um, I hadn't seen the effects until that article came out. And, you know, it was, it was read by, you know, over a million people apparently um and so i guess now i'm giving it a little bit more cred um but back in those days it was i, I don't know it was just let's just get as much pr get as much as we can and then once we build a community let's just focus on that community um a few other things like you know having a marketing background i kind of built the digital formula that we used for lead generation via facebook and and all that sort of thing um, so that was really cool, just running ads and getting the targeting right and um, getting those processes right and even just ru running the Instagram correctly. Um, we're the most followers on Instagram in the F45 network, um, whereas, like, no one really paid that much attention. This is, mind you, this started, like, seven years ago. Yeah, I was going to say, so you would have that would have been, like, mm. prime Facebook ad days yep. when it was, you know, it would have been kind of quite new but still... I mean, it's, I felt like it's dropped off a little bit now, but um, that would have been like prime time yep. kind of back in those days. Yeah, that was it. And so, like, we went real hard on that perspective as well. Um, so, I mean, it all it all helped. Every, everything helps. But I don't think there's any one facet. Like, it's always made up of let's do 5% here, 5% here, 5% here, and then eventually it all works together and, and, and you nail it. Yeah, so one of the... You mentioned brand equity before, uh, mm. and I feel like that's a... That's only a concept that business people actually use in a sense and, and truly understand. Do you want to explain a little bit about, you know, what brand equity is uh, and also um, the process that you look at 
you know, the process you go through in order to build that as quick as possible. Because I always assume when, you, when you're starting a franchise, you can't go slow. Yeah. You know, or even being a fran- franchise or now, you, you can't go slow. You kind of have to learn how to build that pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, probably the most basic way to explain it is it's the value of your brand, right, w- within the market. So um, someone like McDonald's right now would have huge amounts of brand equity and they've managed to build that up over mm. over years and years and years and then obviously you, there's financial um, equity that comes with that. Um, so I think, you know, what what we're trying to achieve with Strong, again, is like, pushing the PR angle, um, pushing, just getting ourselves out there. And um, we're lucky we have a very unique brand, um, which took a long time to sort of put together through the, the whole brand discovery process. And now that, w- now that now that we have it and we have our, our sort of value proposition, we can go super hard. Like now that we know our systems, we know who we are, that's when you can start building brand equity. Um, but, you know, there's been companies that have done it in the past that, just kind of um, start something and, and, and don't really know who they are, what they're doing, and it's, it's worked. It's, it's been really interesting to, to look at a few other people, how it's happened. Um, I don't think these days things go viral really anymore, um, whereas I think that, let's say, five to seven years ago, things just naturally would go viral, even 10 years ago. Um, so now there has to be a, a much greater thought process behind behind that. But... Yeah, it's a combination of absolutely everything. Even being here on a podcast with you today, I would consider um, it a, f- a facet of building brand equity. Um, mm. I don't know, would you agree? 100%. I think yeah. it's anything that... I mean, brand equity is trust, really. It's like how much does the market trust your brand? Uh, you know, like Tesla. Tes- like Tesla's one of those companies I look at and go, you know, they've spent $0 in advertising uh, literally in... in their entirety in business and it's kind of like brand equity is that measure and and it's really it is quite hard to measure to actually quantify um you know if you're not talking in revenue standpoint but it 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 is something that you can build a lot quicker you can build slow no matter what takes years and there's always another level to go to with it but i think um it does come i think a lot of it does come from network as well like you know um I would use us as an example, you know, trying to bring, you know, and we think of it like this, right? Like we've put a lot of thought into it, but it's like if you're bringing, as a podcast, you know, when you start off, like it's kind of really hard to get guests on and it's mm. really hard to to go out and, and obviously grow the thing, but you've got to start to think about, okay, well, what are the steps that we need to take? And one of the things we did was go quality. We're going to go, like, we think that can be a big differentiating factor as this becomes more competitive and that's how we can start to maybe just get some like little wins and then over time obviously as you you know and, and again a studio to because we want like exactly how you know when you walked in you're like oh this is a really cool space like we go well it's not just something that we want to do for our listeners we actually want our guests to have a really great experience as well and we have future plans for that as well and, and kind of continuation there but we look at that very you know very much through the same lens of how can we start to build brand equity and differentiate? But make you know we want to we want to we want to be trusted in the market, and we want to start to obviously differentiate you know from others, and and we feel like that's how we we can do it. So it's it's the hardest part, right? Like starting, and this is why startups are so hard. Mm-hmm. It's like when you have zero um, zero awareness within the market, um, you know it's. 
but it should get as you build brand equity it should get easier and easier and easier and easier and i think it not only exists from a consumer standpoint so say for instance podcast with your listeners but also when people within the industry suppliers whatever else also gives you credibility like other podcasts are then asking you and like i just think it, it 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 exists not only from a consumer standpoint but you know b2b as well mm. um but yeah it should it should just naturally get easier as as it grows but how how many times do people like grow killer brands like it's really like it's tough it's tough work hey yeah 100 yeah. percent. and i think there's levels to it right like and that's and that's kind of like business in a nutshell it's like mm. you have a massive win one day and then the next day it's like you know you celebrate the win and and that might be landing a guest for us or for you you know it might be um you know bringing on uh you know franchisees and and so on and and that comes from the brand equity and that's like the, the kind of end result of it mm. but then it's like okay well you know and i'm sure for you it's like well how do we break into international markets and then yep. all of a sudden that requires another level of brand equity and and it's the same for us it's kind of like we're thinking about it now and and we're like okay what's the next step for us and and you know one of our we had some big wins in in the last couple in the last month of just signing sponsors um and, and huge yeah huge yeah. And, and you know we've had sponsors reach out regularly mm. but it's not it's about the right sponsor what's the one that elevates our brand and allows us to create more brand equity not just you know because there's revenue and that's really important and that's really hard you know in our position we've been eight months you know you know haven't made a single cent but you know how can we make a decision you know, we need to make sure we make the right decision because that will again accelerate the growth of our brand equity which allows us to then compound everything that we're doing so definitely it's very that's very noble as well the fact that you you're picking and choosing because a lot you, you see it happen all the time people align with certain brands and stuff like that and it's purely financial it's a financial gain position and it's just it just doesn't work so i i like i like it um yeah and because you guys would have had to do something similar, you know, across all your different businesses. Because one thing I, I noticed about was what you got, what you've done in all of your businesses mm. is obviously make really good partnerships uh, and be able to network really well. Um, yeah. And with the right people, you know, to, to create the, the certain perception that you're looking for for your brand. Collaboration's massive, and it's it's one thing that like it's one of our say brand pillars. Um, but it, yeah, just being with the right people, like. For instance, I, I just started working with a, comp- a company called um, Single Use Ain't Sexy, and they, they, all they do is they provide hand pumps um, and with tablet form soap, and it's just refills, and so it means you're not continually replacing dispensers. Um, we, we're like strictly no single-use plastics in the studios, so mm. no Mount Franklin bottles. There was a studio over the weekend that had balloons in there. I fucking cracked it. Um, but <laughs> like no, no single-use plastics. Um, and and it's something that's really important to us and, and just aligning with the right people um, just makes it so much easier. It gets the message across and it's it's like it's not something that you really want to promote that hard, but when you when you when you're with the right people, great. Um, you know, the protein brands that we work with, the the athletes that we work with, the, you know, whatever it is, it's really everything is is quite it's quite um, in depth when you know when we think about it as a team who we want to be you know who we want to be who we want to work with um yeah it's a pretty in-depth process um and but just, sorry i was going to say so you know when you're going out to build your build a brand you know uh like do you use like the brand identity framework and and kind of brand, 
you know, branch out from there? Do you have your own kind of way that you look at it and, and something that you kind of go, okay? Because, like, you know, in terms of it could be, like, pillars or it could be Brandis personality, you know, and, and so on. Yeah, I mean, we've been through that whole process. Um, it was actually, it started, um, I've never actually talked about this, but it, it started with, um, we, we're working with an agency and we're just trying to discover who we were, how, mm. how we spoke, like get, get your tone of voice. Um, and it was like, all right, who do you want to be? And we had to like literally name people um, who we wanted to be like. And um, I think Serena Williams was in there. Um, who else was in there? Um, Hemsey was in there. Chris Hemsworth. Natalie Emmanuel. She's like, do you watch Game of Thrones? Yeah. Oh, I've seen. She, yeah. yeah. So she's like Khaleesi's like right-hand girl. She's got the curly hair. Yeah. So we were looking at her Instagram. She's like really opinionated, really cool. Um, and like we're, we're big on our environmental stuff. She's, she was big on her sort of Black Lives Matter stuff. But she's just like super cool. And, um, and we just got these like random sort of group of people Daniel Ricardo was in there um and we just sort of created the, the for sort of the steps of, of the of building the brand through the, like these muses um and I, I just found it so intriguing um and it took so long like even like and then getting your color tones and and everything like that like you you would notice with strong we're completely gender neutral in the way we display mm. ourselves Pilates is predominantly female and always has been. Mm. So we, we really want to go for guys. It's, it's actually very, very easy to get females in. Um, they're early adopters. They pick things up so quickly. It's, it's, it's easy for a studio to be 90% female. Like, mm. I, I don't know why. Maybe men are just stuck in their ways or whatever else. So, you know, building out the colour tones and making strong look strong. Um, we, we're black and white. We're a splash of light blue just to sort of break things up mm. a little bit. Um, but yeah, very, very interesting process, but yeah, we have our pillars, we have our, you know, um, our tone of voice, we have all that sort of stuff. Um, I guess it, it becomes, I haven't even looked at that documentation for probably two years now, like it just becomes, I guess, a part of you and then you just know how you talk and feel and, um, display yourself eventually. Um, so yeah. I think you, you always know what you want, right? But those kind of activities, you're like, it's more about process of elimination and understanding what you don't want, right? It's like, well, we don't want to be like this person, but we kind of want to be like this person. What are those characteristics and traits? And you already know that inside, but it's more like, how can we, we need to label it, right? And then once you label it, especially, I mean, as a founder, you know, you're the most passionate person about what you're doing um, and, and then you want to start to be able to um, share that with employees and staff and management and all those kind of things and, and it's really important to obviously understand that so that it's easy to convey at, at a certain point as well. Yeah, definitely. You, you want everyone drinking the Kool-Aid. Like you, yeah. want, you want everyone sort of, uh, everyone who's, you know, everyone's bought in, you know, um, and, and like, to, to be transparent, it's probably a lot easier for us at the moment to um, to employ people. It's right now we're the cool kids and people want to work with us. So, mm. um, you know, we can go to a new state and, and automatically we have, you know, a dozen people who will go through our Strong Academy who will come across from other Pilates studios or other gyms even um, and, and will want to work for Strong and be an instructor for Strong. And um, it's... Like that brand equity piece we talked about, that you know, the more the brand grows and the you know the cooler we are, and it's it's easier to get people on board. Mm. Um, so, 
but like that was so hard that the first six months was just terrible and then COVID hit so that was even more fucked yeah yeah like, definitely like and, yeah. and I mean that's a startup right like the first six months is always extremely painful I, I feel like deep down as a founder you kind of like you do enjoy that though like you mm. know because you, you obviously like building things um yeah so the other thing I wanted to touch on which we mentioned before was community because obviously that's a big, been a massive part of what you've done across all of your businesses mm-hmm. um, over the last seven years. What do you? What are some of the kind of key things that you you've done with all your businesses that you think has allowed you to galvanize a community and actually get people really invested in, in obviously the brands and the and the experiences that um, your your businesses produce. It's it's a number one question, right? How do you build community? Um, and Honestly, I think it's about being um, being available, um, being like being on show and being there, um, and also just being a good human. Mm. I know that sounds there should be metrics behind how to how to build community, but if you're there, literally um, communicating daily with members, um, and then like just literally getting amongst that community, whether it's the Port Melbourne community or the South Yarra community or whatever it is, working with the cafes, working with the local, um, your local heroes as such. Mm. Um, and then, like, you just top it off with some really fun parties and get everyone together and, and, and just being really supportive. Like, I remember any time that we would have a member that was, you know, aligned with the charity or something like that, we would put on a fundraiser with them. And try and try and try and help them to to increase revenue for, mm. for that for that charity or whatever else. Um, yeah, it's not. I don't think there's any real secret. Just being a fucking good person, like, um, and 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 caring about sort of the community you're in. Um, yeah, it's hard to quantify. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. do you think like then it's more about because like you, you know you're one person, right? And mm. and. I feel like finding the right people to bring into your business as well, yep. like those kind of people that are, are willing to kind of go into the community, they're willing to, you know, they're, they're kind of the, the bubbly person who, who, who will engage with, you know, um, customers when they're coming in and, and just, you know, be, you know, like, like mates in a sense. But uh, the question is, is like, do you think it comes down to the finding the right people? Because I'm sure you're experiencing that on a mass scale right now yeah. with Strong and going... You know, previously you 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 still had to do it, but it's a bit more of on a minor scale to what you're doing right now with Strong. Yeah, hundred like people is everything. Like I've been so blessed to have the most amazing staff, and what's really cool is like all through those F45 days, all of our like gun studio managers and everything like that, they all own their own businesses now, or they've progressed, or they've now, or they're now working for Strong. Um, but yeah, hundred percent. So you're vetting those people. There's a massive culture fit required, mm. and and I've only just started to really be quite um, quite strict on this within Strong is, you know, the per- the person that we're hiring can have th- all the skill set in the world. They can be one of the smartest humans. But if the if it's not a culture fit, like, we can't hire them. Um, and we've seen it a, f- a few times now not work because of that. So, yeah, it's massively. But, like, we're effectively now just, like, instead of hiring studio managers, we're now bringing on franchisees and we're screening franchisees. And we have the best group of like young entrepreneurs that are owning these studios. And like, we'll, we'll, we'll do a probably like an end of year trip maybe to Thailand or to Northern Queensland. And, you know, we'll get, we'll get some like really cool educational pieces and we'll, we'll have a lot of drinks and we'll have a good time. We'll get everyone together. And, um, 
like I'm really excited about that. Um, but there's not one person in our network that um, call it is like a bad egg. Do you know what I mean? They're all just incredible. What, um, what kind of process goes into that then? Because I mean, it's very easy for us to sit here and say, find the right people, you know, and and the rest of all the history. But like, what kind of processes go into that? You know, even now with what you're doing with Strong, like the B two B sales process. Yeah, just more like finding people, right? Yeah. So you know, like you, you obviously said that you're getting quite strict with it. So what does that actually look like? Um, I work a lot off referral now, um, and and almost headhunting now. So when we're looking at key positions for Strong, we're, we're headhunting. Mm. Um, and and the fitness industry, although it's large, it's quite small in Australia. So y- you know you know someone's background very like just from a few phone calls. Yeah. Um, so that would be in terms of staff. That's that's probably the the route that we're taking. Um, but in terms of like franchisees, I mean, there's a huge sales process. My my business partner Mark looks after that. Um, and you know we've got we're running Facebook ads. We're you know we're doing PR as I said before. We've got all sorts of ways to bring people into our um, call it a sales funnel um, but at the end of the day um, if the person's not appropriate then we don't bring them on and mm. it's 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 weird because you'd think that you just want to sell franchises sell 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 but it's it's not like that with us at all um, we've we've just recently like given money back to people and told them to just this isn't right for you it's not going to work um, just from like you know dealing with them for a month or two um, but yeah, it's it's nice to be selective, and not you know not just accept anyone to come in. It's the brand yeah. equity thing again, right? It's like you know all it takes is a few franchises to go sour or not mm. to go right, or you know maybe they're not they're not you know stepping up to the kind of level that you want them to be. And Nat- naturally, with any franchise, you're going to have high performers and you're going to have low performers, but. As long as the low performers are willing to identify why they're low performing and they're willing to work on why they're low performing and they're willing to accept feedback and then implement change, um, that's super important. But if, you've, if you get someone who's performing low and they refuse to take on advice, it's a disaster for recipe. Mm. And like we have a buyback clause that in case something like that happens, we, we can you know look to, to do that. And I don't think we ever will have to do that. But yeah, as I said, so far so good. Um, Great, great, like great little community. Yeah, and you yeah. kind of want that difference. You want that, the I guess the difference between your best and your, I don't want to say worst, but your lowest performers to be small, right? Like, because yeah. I feel like that's the, that's when as a as a kind of cohesive group, you're obviously going to be the most powerful. Yeah, and it, and it is so far like it's it's going relatively well in terms of like the gap not being so big, and then we we've already started putting time into like some of the low performing studios and and. Mind you, the low low performing aren't that bad, but just if you scale it to what everyone else is doing, and we've already seen straight away, like, bang, all of a sudden, like, extra three grand, extra four grand revenue a week just by, like, them implementing the systems that we're we're giving them. So, Mm. yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, amazing. All right, so, you know, you've been able to grow, you know, what, three, probably more, but the three businesses that I know of to a really, really high level, and... As I said, the thing I'm most excited about today is to kind of, I want to understand your philosophies on business uh, and, and, you know, how you look at it because you've been able to do it and not just do it once but over and over again. Um, and, and I obviously listened and, and did a lot of research, you know, before today and, and something I heard you talk about, which I heard you talk about in multiple podcasts was the business life cycle mm. uh, and continuous innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so this is almost like a two two part question but it'll it'll provide some good conversation how do you look at business like if you were to walk into another business today you know how do you think about it from everything from understanding what a good opportunity looks like to then obviously getting the ball rolling and then what's that framework that kind of comes in and you go yep this is what we need to do from a principal standpoint it obviously differs between whatever product or, or business you, you're kind of doing and and then secondly do you want to talk a little bit about the the business life cycle and and obviously the innovation piece that you, you do talk about yeah so primarily when when starting a new venture is that what you mean walking into a business yeah um because you, I walk into businesses all the time and I'm like, I, and this is one thing that you kind of learn, like you, you kind of do automatically. You wonder like how much rent they're paying and what, and you do like the sums and how successful is this business. It's something that's like now ingrained. It's, it's, so, it's so hard not to try and be analytical about everything. Yeah. Um, but when, when we're starting a new business, primarily like the most important thing is um, creating a profitable business model, right? If, if you don't have a profitable business model and you don't know how you're going to make money, you're not going to succeed because you're mm. not going to make money and you're going to crash and burn. Um, so that's always step one, um, knowing your numbers and then executing based off that. I mean, all the brand stuff and all that stuff is super fun, but you need to know your numbers. Um, would you agree? 100%, yeah. yeah. So I'm wondering, do you kind of use the gross profit model? In turn, like, so one thing I've always been taught is like gross profit is obviously what it costs to reproduce the product. So if you're selling, you know, um, you know, within strong, you're selling time, mm. you know, with a t-shirt, you're, it's whatever it takes to obviously create another t-shirt or the cost to produce in a sense um, is like the base layer of that. I don't know. Maybe I'm... Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, to some extent, it's not, that area is not as in depth as you think. It's just ensuring things are profitable. Um, we know, we know what, um, we know what a franchise will get on the market if it sells to private equity mm. at X amount of studios and it's making this much revenue. In terms of setting up our, like selling merch and all that sort of thing, yes, everything needs to be profitable. Um, each department needs to be profitable. Um, so, yeah, I mean, one thing we probably don't measure, and it's interesting that you say that, is, is the time that, that goes into it right now. Although we're very, time is, is very scarce, we're not, we are spending too much time on absolutely everything and trying to refine everything and everyone's working super hard and, and sometimes it's just bullshit, but like you have to, you have to do it, I think, as a startup. So yeah. we're not really monetizing time as such. Um, the innovation piece is something that like, I, I think it, it's, it's probably been one of the main drivers as to why the things that myself and my business partner have done have been successful. Like, you need to innovate. You have to. If you don't innovate, you will recess and you will die. Um, whether that's every three years, whether that's every year, whether that's every six months, um, product life cycle or business life cycle, um, you know, you intro, you get to your peak. And if, if you don't innovate, you will recess and you will continue to recess and you will die. So basically with the innovation curve, you keep recessing and you continue your business on that growth, on that upward trajectory, right? Mm. Um, so with Strong, like it's been two, it's been like two, two and a half years, say, since we started, it is a completely different service offering to how we to how we to how we started it. Um, if I'm highly critical of absolutely everything, we're putting money into tech, we're putting money into um, the customer experience, we're putting money into absolutely everything that we shouldn't be. Um, 
instead of just sitting there and running with a, with a product because I don't think it's ever a finished product, right? Mm. Um, you look at a lot of the big brands always rebrand in like, you know, they'll change their logo or they'll do this or they'll change their menu or whatever and it always happens. Like you see it time in, time out. Um, think about that on like a, like a 10x scale. We're trying to just constantly be ahead. And the fitness industry moves so quickly and we've seen in my like in my short seven years that I've been in this, I've seen brands come in and fail um, within like a two three year period. Mm. There's, there's some have come from the US um, that haven't you know haven't identified that Australia does not like um, US products. Um, there's a big reason Starbucks failed in Australia, for instance. Um, it's a very famous case study. Um, I've seen brands come and go in this space in only the seven years I've been involved. So it's like super important, everything. My, my role is, is just innovating right now and, and trying not to be an asshole in the process. <laughs> yeah. That's the hardest part, I reckon. Yeah. I mean, you know, oh, that's, a, that's something that you, I battle with as well. I mean, especially yeah. being in a startup, if you're super passionate about it um, and it's difficult, you know, and when things are difficult, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard. To, to obviously keep your nerve and, and these kind of things as well. But um, coming back to innovation then, like how do you look at an opportunity or how do you innovate? Do you, you know, like do you look at trends and do you try to, you know, do you use data? Do you use people that you might talk to? Do you, are you kind of quite nuanced in the way that you listen to conversations? Like is there a certain way that you view innovation and, and then a process that you take it through to actually bring something like that to life? Yeah, we sort of... A lot of it is, and being self-funded, um, you know, we've got limited money in what we can spend. Like, if we had a lot more money, we would probably have our own app that integrates with an Apple Watch that goes on the TVs and, like, it, you know, building out this super tech. Um, a lot of it is based off what we can afford to do. Um, we try not to be reactive. So I get super jealous um, looking at competitors if they do something before we do it. Um, so just, yeah, just keeping an open mind to things and... I get ideas from everything, um, not even necessarily fitness industry. I try not to look too much at it, but um, what other brands are doing um, and tech, like tech's a massive one. But um, yeah, it's it's very limited to how much capital you have as well. Be nice to just have an unlimited budget and then I could just innovate like hell, but it doesn't work like that. Um, it kills you, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but now I'm actually really driven by... Um, by by competition like I don't I like I want to be the best and I've always wanted us to be the best whether it's you know our own F45s against other F45s or our retreats business against um, competitive retreats business um, whatever it is I just want us to be the best so um, you know people there's always you get a lot of like you know entrepreneurial speakers that talk about just focus on yourself and whatever else I actually like I, I, I don't mind um, being challenged by other competitors. I think it's healthy um, and I like trying to be better, yeah. I think I think it's there's a necessity. I mean, yeah. you don't play sport, you know, like, I mean, you get taught as a kid, you, you play to compete, right? And, and just because competition exists doesn't mean that everything is about winning, but a big part of what why you compete is to win. Uh, and everybody should try to compete, in my opinion. You know, whether you're playing sport, whether you're starting a business, when you're doing these things, it's natural to want to compete and want to be good at something. 
Uh, and I think that's a, just a, you know, I think that's something that doesn't mean I treat you any different. It doesn't mm. mean I go away from my values and my morals and, and do, you know, things that are, um, that'll, you know, cost me integrity and these kind of things. But, you know, if, if I get challenged, I'm going to, I'm not going to walk away and, and we're going we're gonna to kind of duel. It's, a little it's bit. healthy. It's healthy. It, it pushes you to be better. It does. Like, it's where innovation comes from. Yeah. Like if someone puts up a certain piece of content and I'm like, wow, that, that company did this amazing piece of content. I'm like, fuck, why didn't we do that? Why didn't we think of that? And then it's like, all right, how are we going to be better? Like it's just, I, I love it. Like I really, I don't think anyone doesn't, strive to be the best in their field right and there's nothing wrong with that you don't have to be all wholesome and 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 just like you know focus on on what you're doing it's it's nice to just be the best and try and be the best i reckon 100 anyway, yeah. i i i agree i think yeah. you know competition is healthy because it makes us all better yeah you know like if you think about anyone that the world looks up to kobe lebron the best athletes in the world, Nike have built a brand around. Mm. These guys would crush you if you tried to come near them. Like, yep. that's just how it is. And that's why they're the best in the world. So I think at some level it's it's healthy. And I think the only thing that would be unhealthy about it is if you are going outside of yourself um, in terms of your morals and, and you're kind of doing shifty stuff and, and kind of and these kind of things. But, ju- you know, if purely wanting to, to actually be the best, you don't have to say sorry for it. Yeah. And people do sell their souls to the devil, like it. Y- yeah. Oh, yeah, but you, I, I completely agree with that. You don't want to, que- you don't want to question your own morals, and um, yeah, Definitely. absolutely. So one of the things that um, I loved, uh, there's a podcast you did, but you talked about the scent mm. that you um, use uh, in Strong, uh, yeah. and how you know there was so much nuanced thought that went into it around the customer experience um yeah is and, and i'd love for you to kind of talk about that because i feel like this is marketing 101 right this is the customer experience this is you know and and you know i said a little comment to you before like you could go to a restaurant and if the restaurant smelled like sewage but the food was really nice you would still you still wouldn't you know you it still wouldn't be you know one of the top restaurants in 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 the town you know yep. let's say yep so do you want to talk about, say, maybe some of the things that, you know, people might not pay attention to that you guys do um, and, and kind of how that relates to maybe the success of your business? Yeah, I, I think, like, we, we call them um, the one percenters pretty much. So mm. it's the little things that, that customers notice, but they're not – it's by no means a necessity for the business to, to operate, right? So the scent is a big one. Um, I can't remember what year it was, but – Number that, that got voted number one reason females left gyms was due to cleanliness, right? So, when we were developing our scent, um, so every studio smells exactly the same. We put saffron in there, which kind of smells like a chlorine, which mm. is like a clean scent. And then we put tones in there that uplift people. So when they walk in, they feel uplifted and powerful. Um, and, and that was again, I worked with a perfumologist, and we created that over a, geez, it would have been three, four month process, and literally sitting out on a table with. 50 fucking different scents and smelling all of them and saying that works put these together put these together and that took like ages and we came up with this this scent um and it's so cool i should have brought your sample actually it smells amazing um so that's one thing like all the lockers at strong have phone chargers right Mm. because we don't want people bringing their phones into the studio taking selfies while they're training while they're training getting results 
So all the lockers have phone chargers. There's, there's a, at the end of the workout, there's a cold towel that's been soaked in eucalyptus oil that they get. It's been in the fridge. Um, again, like not a necessity, but just like that relief when you've just had this really tough workout. You've probably burnt 700 calories. Your face is red and you just get this cold towel and it opens up your airways and it's just like, yeah. It, it's just these little kind of things that we've included in the customer experience that it is probably like really helping us. Um, and it's just stuff that we identified like even before we started F45, me and Mark went around to like a hundred, literally went to a hundred different studios. Mm. We're like, geez, those, those lockers were dirty and that trainer was just so like, they were on their phone the whole time and we just like mm. literally picked everything apart. How can we do this better? What areas can we create? Can we cr- create areas where people are actually building community and talking and um, and, and that's you know, that's another big thing, getting, peop- getting people to actually interact with each other and, and be comfortable with each other. And um, Yeah, there's, there's so much to it. You know, the, the lighting, the music, the everything. Um, it's all very intricate. Um, nothing that nothing you see is is by chance. Like it's all, it's all. There's been so much going into it. Yeah, I think it's amazing. That, I mean, that's amazing depth, first of all. Um, mm. But it's I think it's amazing what can happen when you do focus on those. Like, yeah. Um, and especially, I th- you know, and and I'd love to get your opinion on this. But like, I feel like. Like, if someone comes to me with a business idea and they're like, oh, what do you think of this? Like, the first thing I'll say is go away and actually do your research and actually find out, okay, has it been done before? Who does it well? You know, and actually go put some effort into that. And I feel like that's often a step that just gets massively overlooked when it comes to starting a business. You know, Mm -hmm. like, people have an idea. You know, I think one of my mates called me up yesterday. Do you know Tim Hanley? Yeah. 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 So Timmy gave me a call. <laughs> He's hilarious, but he goes <laughs> he goes, "Mate, do you know an app developer?" And I go, "Yeah, brother." Like I'm like, <laughs> "I'm just imagining his face when he saying Oh this yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, 100%. So you funny. could imagine that. Yeah. He goes, "Hey man, you got do you know an app developer?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, like what do you, what do you need?" And he's like, "I got this idea, man. Billion dollar idea." And I'm like, "All right, sweet." He goes, "So, you know, I just got back from a holiday and I was at the park. There's heaps of dogs running around." He's like, I'd love to look after these guys. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, so you dog sitting. And I, he's like, yeah, man. I'm like, being done. I'm like, go, <laughs> go do your research. Being done. He's like, fuck. But like, you know, like. Man, <laughs> do you know how much money some of these pet resorts make and the dog walkers? <laughs> yeah. and it's insane. We put our two Frenchies up in, um, when we were in Queensland. We put them up in this like high-end resort it cost me like two grand for a week yeah but they got walks they got washed they got yeah people would do anything for their pets that's the thing right and it's like you know i mean there's so i feel like that's an industry there's just so much money to be made in there the margins are massive the the scraps they get from butchers that they sell for like you know 10 bucks a unit it's just crazy it's insane yeah 100 percent. they i mean i would do anything for my dog so but yeah, hundred. What have you got? Uh, a Moodle, so Maltese uh, cross poodle. Yeah. So he's a little tacker. Yeah. But he's only eight months old, nine months old. But yeah, hundred percent. I, I, you know, I do anything. I drive. You know, sometimes during COVID, it was impossible to get a, them cut. Yeah. You know? So we we were driving. You know, we would be going through referral, and we were driving an hour just to get our dog cut. You yeah. Know what I mean, breaking the the five kilometer radius limit. Oh, wasn't that 
just ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah, back back to the whole ideas thing, and I get it as well. I get people approach me at uh, like sometimes yes, it's been done, but I, I think the execution is almost mm. as important, right? Like you can have a million dollar idea, and I'm sure there's that many people that thought let's stick a rower on the end of a reformer or a bike or whatever. But I think the execution is so important. Um, yeah, we. You can sit there with your mates and think up 10 amazing businesses, but who knows how to get the investment to get it together? Who knows how to execute it? It's just, yeah. Gary V talks about this all the time, hey? You know, like he kind of talks about the, the, the notion of being a great operator. Mm. Uh, and for so long, I didn't understand what that meant. And I was like, oh, like, like all right, Gary, like whatever. Mm. Um, but I think the longer you kind of go, you've, you're in bit Like, you know, an example is I've built this business at 10 times the rate that I built any of my other ones. You know what I mean? Like, this is going a lot quicker in terms of brand building, in terms of, mm. you know, everything, just all the different sectors of the business are progressing and just knowing where to put things, you know, and, and that's only come because, you know, I've been in business, what, for like 10 years now and, uh, you know, my first business took me like, I think for the first two years I was like, it was, it was complete disaster. Yep. You know what I mean? And, but I think over time there's something to be said about, being a great operator, I think that's something you know you've probably been able to, to prove that you can do. You know, in terms of even just personal brand, like you know, being a great operator, being able to actually get things off the ground and and execute on all. You know, we talk about brand equity, right? Mm. You know, brand equity is not just words on a wall. It's not just mm. the the things you talk about in the meeting. It's actually got to be something that carries on, and you can actually execute outside of that to actually get the brand equity. We can have pillars, we can do certain, you know, we can talk about certain ideas and, and, and tone of voice and, and do all these things, but mm. in reality, the execution and being a great operator is the thing that decides on whether this business is successful or not. And it's pro it probably comes from failures as well that you become a good operator. Like you just said, your first business like did nothing right. Same, like, I had a yoga studio that lost money and taught me that I need to create a business model that's sustainable, you know, like there's, y you need to be able to have a crack at things. There's nothing wrong with someone just starting as well, you know, sometimes they get lucky, it goes well, but um, I, the failures are great, like they're, they're great. They might not be when you lose a couple hundred grand or a million bucks or whatever, but you know, it's still, everything's a lesson, right? Yeah. Um, and you just get better and better and better if you're highly critical of yourself, you know, you get better. So. And you've got to have the tenacity, right? I yeah. think that's the thing is like if your first business fails, that's fine. Like, yeah. That's normal in that's most normal, cases, yeah. you know. Like it it's, is. It's, you know, and you've just got to be able to kind of keep pushing forward. Yep. Um, uh, I don't know if you've read the book, um, uh, what is it, Good to Great, Jim Collins? But he kind of talks about, it's, it's a cool book, but he kind of talks about um, uh, having unwavering faith in the idea and, and, the, and the product because um, that's the thing that you need to keep on pushing forward when you go through these kind of failures or these things, you know, when certain things don't work. Um, and I just think that's imperative if you're going, you know, just as a, on a personal level. Mm. If you want to have any success in business, and there's different levels to it, there always is, but if you want to actually be able to get a business off the ground and allow that to create economic security for yourself and actually you know, build something that you're extremely passionate about that, you know, might, might, might be a five to ten year business, <laughs> you've got to be ready for just dirt <laughs> yeah. for like at least two years um, and, and, you know, be able to kind of take, you know, criticism and, and things going wrong and be able to push through that. 
Yeah, you got to eat shit. For, <laughs> is that what Gary V says? Yeah. Everyone started on Gary V, right? Um, all right, good to great. I'll get that book. I've heard quite a few people that I, I respect a lot have told me to, to read this book. So I'll, um, I'll grab it after this. Yeah, I, I, read yeah. It, I, read it, I read it maybe four years ago and I just recently read it again. Yep. Um, but it's, Jim Collins, is a, like, he's, a, he's a frameworks guy, which I really like. He's written Turning on the Flywheel, which is like the business model behind Amazon and these kind of things. But he's, he's definitely great to... to, to um, I always kind of touch back on his stuff. The, the book was written, so it was a five-year project where they went out and I think they wrote, they read 10,000 essays, they interviewed over uh, 150 founders, like tw- I think it was a, a team of 25 of re- like in pure research went into um, some of the companies that were able to go from good to great mm. and I think it was like they had to get over a multiple of 4x um, growth over a certain period of time and they just went in and, and actually kind of dissected each of those different parts. It's nice that it's based off research. It's not just someone going, here are my thoughts. Like that, that's what, that's some, something I don't really love about the sort of, a lot of these business books. It's, you Written know, there's not, yeah, it's opinion, yeah, opinion based, but that's fantastic. Um, His stuff's amazing. Yeah. Like yeah. I reckon he's the, the, the premier writer in terms of business. Like he's got three or four books and I, even mm. he's got essays that I just read. You know, I'm not a, I used to be a big reader, but not anymore, but mm. kind of come back to his stuff, you know, um, just, just regularly just to kind of get a, get, get an understanding, especially right now. Like we're kind of, I think trying to take the next step. So just, you know, reflecting on some of that stuff is really cool. Nice. All right. So the last thing that we do to finish off is quick fire questions. Now, I have to preface this because it can be quite confusing sometimes, but we, even though it's quick fire, you don't need to necessarily give a quick answer. Like, you just answer it how you want. If it's long, it's long. If it's quick, it's, but it's, these are kind of really, you know, clear-cut questions that will be, you know, will share, a, create a lot of value for, for the listeners. Yeah. Um, so, I'm gonna, <laughs> nah, you, you, I mean, they're, they're, it's, there's nothing untoward in there. Okay. So, um, one piece of advice for your younger self? Uh, stay the course. What, is, what, what does that mean? Just, I think, even just what we were talking about before, but just having full faith in what you're doing. Um, there's, there's, I'm really lucky to have a business partner who, you know, if I doubt something, he backs me up and he goes, nah, mate, you know what you're doing, you know, back yourself. But, yeah, probably just stay the course, back yourself. Um, because yeah, it's hard. It's a it's a full roller coaster, um, and you know there's there's really sometimes there's no experts um, that are doing what you're doing. So it's like you you really do need to back yourself. Yeah, bet on yourself. Yep, it's the best thing you can do. I reckon. Yep. One piece of advice for someone thinking of getting into business. Um, do your numbers. Um, and go like crazy. So map it out and then just go really, really hard. I heard you talk about this and, and it's something that I actually thoroughly agree with and I'm doing it myself right now because you, you said when you're young and you don't have other people around you that you need to take responsibility for um, to go as hard as you possibly can yeah. at gaining success. Well, how often in your life can you actually work from five in the morning till, you know, 11 o'clock at night 
and not be accountable for anything else. Like, you probably got a 10 year window. Yeah, if that, like, um, depending on, you know, depending if you want to actually get married and have kids and, and take on responsibilities and whatever else. But yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you? That's the thing. If you're, if that, if that aligns with your goals, why wouldn't you? Mm. Yeah. I definitely agree. Yeah. Okay, so in your opinion, what makes great marketing? Um, innovation um, and knowledge of the consumer. So everything I've done, I've always tried to be the coolest brand, right, and know my consumer and what they want to hear. I never want to post something or create a piece of content or whatever, thing, you know, whatever else um, that that they are just either disgusted by or they think it's uncool or I, I, I don't know. But, yeah, just knowing your consumer and your audience um, makes a really clever marketer um, regardless. But marketing is made up of so many different facets anyway. But that's, I think, f- in terms of, like, brand, um, yeah. You're Number a brand one. guy, right? So yeah. you, I kind of, you, you've mentioned that a fair bit. Yeah. What goes into creating a successful brand then? Um, exactly what I just said. Knowing your consumer um and and yeah i I mean once i I think once you know who you are as well um just sticking to to you know sticking to that brand and not being too swayed by um everything else that's going on because sometimes sometimes that can be very tempting you know um if if a competitor is doing something um that you think a mass audience are really enjoying it's hard to not not want to copy but yeah um, yeah, it's, it's brands are f- like brands. One of those things that it, you know it takes years to build, or or you know takes time and effort to build. But it mm. also can be broken down with one decision. Yeah, you know, like you can lose the brand in one bad decision. Do you see what just happened <coughs> to the grilled founder? I didn't. Uh, nah, he was he was caught like um, smoking ice or something like that. Far and out. Um, it's just like one of those things that. It's like out of your control, like everyone else in the company and the shareholders and everything else like that. Um, it's sort of just like one of those things that it's a really scary thought that something can bring down a brand as strong as grilled. As grilled. Um, my mate messaged me, he had shares, like he's like, I've just taken a big hit. and Yeah, really, really interesting stuff. And that's, I guess that's a risk of, of anything, like um, growing a big business and sometimes, you know, the people that, that you're involved with can can really um, be influential. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of speak... Uh, one of the core pillars of investing is is do your research on the operator, right? Yeah. Like, you need to understand who's at the helm of a company <coughs> when, when you're going to invest in it. It's the same in business, you know? Like, if you're going to get into business with someone, if you're going to hire someone, you know, pay attention to the operator, do your research on it. You know, don't. Ju- I mean, don't just take people's word. You know, I mean, and that's that sounds really horrible to say, mm. but we live in a world, and I think this is what social media has created. It's almost the negative side of it over maybe the last ten years is that um, it's a power grab, right? And 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 some people will do whatever they can to get ahead, and and sometimes that can mean, and, and you know, sometimes shit goes wrong. Like yeah. you know, maybe you know, maybe you, I don't know. Maybe maybe he was going through a tough time. Who who fucking knows, right? Yeah. But but it's like this. I think it the the lesson out of that is it is absolutely critical that if you are going to get into business, 
yeah. that you understand the responsibilities that come with it and the impact you can have on everybody in the business as well. That, that's that's a key message, I think, um, particularly if it's your livelihood at stake as well. But yeah, there's a huge responsibility. Even just starting an ABN and starting a business, you there, there are liabilities people don't even understand mm. that they can go to jail for. Um, it's really important to, to do your research, right? Um, but yeah. I didn't pay my taxes for a year. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? When I was a sole trader. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was painful for the for the next two years after that. Yeah. That's for sure. So It's a common mistake, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I didn't even... I think I, you know, because I was a PT early on in my days too, worked at a good life. Um, and I just didn't even realise I had a business, you know, like yep. my first year. And then, um, you know, I was living out of home, so I wasn't, you know, I was, I was young. I was living out of home, hadn't been taught any of this stuff. Just go, oh, I know I want to be a PT. Um, <laughs> and then all of a sudden had to, you know, I went and seen an accountant for the first time and he's like, oh, we're going to have to do some fixing up here. <laughs> Got to find X amount of dollars. Yeah. And like, yeah. It's crazy. No, don't, yeah. Awesome, brother. I want to say right. a massive thank you to you um, for coming on the show. Um, I know you're a busy man at the moment, so I really appreciate it. Um, where can everyone find everything about you, everything about Strong, give it a plug. Yeah, so just jump on the Strong Instagram. It's literally at Strong. Um, it's the best handle ever. Um, Jeez, you would have had to do a bit to get that. Yeah, I just started... I remember everyone was buying up domains, like, you know, koala.com, you know, got theirs and, like... And it was as investments. Um, and I just started buying one-word Instagram names. So it only cost me, like, three and a half US, like... Would have been six years ago, I reckon. Yeah. Um, but now it's worth. So I get offers every day. Um, but yeah, I was literally just buying up one word Instagram names as investments. Amazing. Um, yeah. So at Strong and then mine's at Rams Legit, um, my Instagram. But yeah. Awesome. And yeah. and the studios are going up everywhere around Australia at the moment? Yeah. Um, literally, literally everywhere at the moment. Um, Brisbane, Gold Coast, Adelaide, um, Sydney, our first in Sydney will launch in, in a couple of um, couple of months. We've got a couple in Tassie launching. Auckland is about two months off. Um, yeah, like everywhere. Everywhere but Perth because everyone who's in Perth can't actually come to this side of the country. So It's crazy, um, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, there'll be a strong pretty much near everyone soon, hopefully. Amazing. Definitely yep. check it out, guys. Um, amazing concept. Um, uh, it's, they're amazing studios. The, the product itself is really cool as well, so definitely go check it out. Um, to everyone who listened today, really appreciate you guys as well, the support you've given us over the last, you know, I mean, since we started, but even more so now has just been amazing. So a big shout-out to you guys. And, and, John, thanks for putting this together, brother. Thank you. We'll see you guys next week.